Hi everyone, Jacqueline Foster here. Welcome back to the Paralegal Mastery Lounge podcast. Today you're going to listen to a recording of a webinar I did um, a few weeks back on unveiling the freelance paralegal market and why this is really important, a really important topic is to understand how to market yourself. You have to know what market is out there and why it exists. So it's a super, super informative webinar on uh, for you freelance paralegals out there or, or aspiring entrepreneurs out there that want a little more insight into the market of the freelance world. Um, as, so as a reminder, make sure if you are interested in watching these webinars in real time, follow me on LinkedIn, join the Paralegal Mastery Lounge uh, free Facebook group where we do webinars bi-weekly in there as well as LinkedIn simultaneously. So whichever platform that you use, we go live on both every two weeks. Um, and then also as a reminder, the Paralegal Mastery Lounge private membership is going to close at the end of this month. So if you've been on the fence about joining or if you're wanting more information before you decide to join, make sure you reach out to me, ask me any questions and get, get moving on, on your membership uh, before it, the enrollment period is going to close here. So again, in the Paralegal Mastery Lounge, we're focusing on elevating paralegals to their six figure and beyond earning potentials. So super great group, really excited to have you if you choose to join. Everything is linked up in the show notes as far as accessing our free Facebook group, accessing our my LinkedIn, all of the above. So make sure to join and uh, until next time have a great week ahead of you say hi all right let's get started today we're going to be cracking the code we're unveiling the lucrative market for freelance paralegals it's so interesting that i scheduled this um, about a week ago and just last night i had a live inner or a recorded interview with the wonderful Misty Murray, if you've ever heard of her, she's amazing. And she was talking to me about how in her freelance coaching, what she would tell a lot of the people that she coaches in the freelance paralegal space is to go watch me and my marketing and what I'm speaking to. And the reason why is because it's important to understand the problem or the need that your potential clients have in order to market effectively, in order to be confident that you're joining this market and those sorts of things. So that's what today is about it's about opening up your mind to why there is such a strong market for freelance paralegals beyond just you know well they need savings or i can just do a couple of hours here and there like really let's get deep and diving into the market of freelance paralegals again if you're here please say hi let me know you're here um i want to make sure this is all working okay so to start the freelance paralegal market and understanding it is going to also help you to uncover your ideal client. And I have said this over and over again, it's so very important to have an ideal client when you are starting your business, when you are developing your business, when you are growing your business, when you are scaling beyond your business. It's important to always keep that ideal client in mind and what their specific pain points are. Now, if you're looking at a law firm, say a solo attorney, hey, Adrian, thank you for commenting. I know it's all working now. Um, if you have a, say a solo, 
Hi, Corinne. Okay, good. People are coming in. Thank you. Thank you so much for commenting and let me know you're here because otherwise I have no idea. It doesn't show me how many people are here. I, I have no idea. So thank you for commenting. Let me know where you're from um, if you're watching this live. If you're watching the replay also. Hey, Monica. Pennsylvania. I miss Gettysburg. Gettysburg is my, is my spirit town now. Um, <clears throat> so what I was saying is that setting your ideal clients. So there's three pain points in a law firm that are very, very standard, but they're going to be looking a little bit different depending on your ideal client. However, the same three concepts remain the same for every single type of firm, large, small, solo, what have you, mid-sized, um, estate planning, probate, litigation, criminal law, intellectual property, all the above. It's going to have a same common theme when you're looking at their pain points. And in business, pain point, problem plus solution equals a business. That is the most simple way I can put it. Problem plus solution equals business. So the more and more and more you can refine your solution towards the problem of your ideal client, the more traction you're gonna get in your what you're known for, who you serve, how you serve them, and you're gonna become that go-to person. So even when you think Myself, I was just talking to Miss Adrian in here today. She's on my team. We were just talking about that today, about me getting more and more refined with my ideal client. And sometimes it's easy to slip away. It's easy to get shiny object syndrome um, and say, oh, like, let's try this part of the market. You can absolutely do that, but always recenter yourself in your marketing to who you are trying to serve, what you're passionate about serving. And so I wanted to preface this, this webinar with that in mind of why it's important to understand the lucrative market around once you get into that market who you're serving and what types of problems they're experiencing because you're coming in and you're the solution I don't care if you're selling a product or a service or what have you solution is what gives you a business solution to a problem is what makes a business I have a problem my carpet's dirty the vacuum is the solution then we get into the nitty gritties about like how in depth are you solving my problem? You know, I have shag rug. I need something really powerful to get deep in there and get my dog hair, dog hair out. So look at those vacuums that really push like the pet hair, the, the massive suction abilities, which I just bought one because my dogs shed like crazy. So that's where we get more and more and more refined into those pain points of our specific target market. Um, so let's start by just unveiling this lucrative market for freelance paralegals by focusing on the problems law firms are experienced, have always experienced, and will continue to experience till the end of time. Number one is cost. And I know that's like, well, duh, Jacqueline, like cost is always a problem for people. But specifically in a law firm, and we're going to, I don't mean to like jump ahead, we're going to get into different types of problems, but when we're going through like ebbs and flows or when a law firm is growing, which every law firm at every moment in time is always seeking growth for the most part, unless they're like halfway out and they're ready to retire. They're always seeking growth. So they're always in what we call a growth phase. And in between those growth phases, it's really hard for them to jump in and commit to a full-time employee. So what they end up having to decide without the freelance paralegal is do I inundate my, my current employees to, to handle this work coming in before I can justify enough work for a full-time, another full-time employee? Or do I stay at the office until 8 p.m. every single night, never see my family, go home tired, wake up at four in the morning and do it again to keep up? And usually it's the latter that ends up happening because their team and a lot of the employees out there, they're not gonna work more than they uh, signed up for typically, you know, as a standard, I guess. So when we're looking at 
growth phases for law firms and the cost burden that's associated with employees. They're looking for a solution to, even if they don't know they're looking for that solution, because they might not think one exists. Obviously, they're smart, they're attorneys. They know freelance paralegals are out there, but they don't understand it wholeheartedly yet to be able to say, this is what I want to, this is what I need for my firm. And that's where you come in with your marketing and education. For the freelance paralegal is what sits between not ready, but ready, right? Like we're in this, in this middle piece where you can come in and offer your services of say five hours a week, 10 hours a week. You can be flexible, you can ebb and flow with them as they're working on being confident in their new bottom line. And guys, at any point, if you have questions, drop them in there because I want questions so I can get right into them at the end um, when I get through the, the this market with you. So that's where you know that freelance paralegal can come in. And what's really unique about that, which makes a lot of people say, well, then I'm never gonna have client stability. I'm never gonna have client security because they're just gonna use me until they're ready to get a freelance paralegal. That is not true. The better you can be as a freelance paralegal for that firm, I promise you, you'll create job security. If you're a rock star, if you're absolutely amazing and they have a place for you, they will keep you because they're gonna grow into the next phase. Once they stabilize their new bottom line, they're gonna be working to get to the next one. Right, so I always call it stepping stone staffing strategy with my clients of like, okay, we're here, we're at this step, this is what you need to support your current workload. Now we're getting to where you need to increase that freelance paralegal to 30, 40 hours a week. It's no longer financially feasible to, to afford a, a freelancer at that many hours a week. Let's get you a full time employee and back off your freelance support to say five, 10 hours a week, or maybe they just like took off because of your support there. They were able to tell their marketing agency, like ramp this up. I want like 25 new leads in every single month. So that's the biggest, I think truly the biggest part for, especially your solo firms, or if you're going into the bigger firms that are also kind of weighing, they are, they're just, it's not to a certain pain level. experienced on a more deep level as your solo attorneys and small firm owners will be experiencing because they have a different infrastructure of their staffing. The other thing is, for instance, in a big law firm, say you want to target big law firms as your ideal client, they might have an overload of, say, subpoenas that have to go out every single day or an overload of depositions they're taking every single day. And they need somebody, you know, their paralegals just don't have time to do these summarizations, which makes the, um, for the depositions, they don't have time to make these summarizations uh, because they're too busy inundated with keeping cases progressing, filing pleadings, dealing with clients, dealing with courts, all the things that paralegals do. So they might be looking at, okay, well, deposition summaries would definitely help our attorneys to better serve their clients and keep, you know, more organized in the case and make everything else from there go a lot quicker. And they might have that volume, but they're they're still not the justification to hire somebody specifically to do just that. In comes you. Same thing with um, you know like medical summaries or anything of that nature. Subpoena departments they have a lot of subpoenas. They need somebody to just focus on that. Um, filing that might be a thing for you legal admins out there that might not have a ton of law uh, law paralegal experience. So. It's finding that gap and it's it's the the market is there because there's constantly that gap. Again, no matter if the firm is going from stage A to B to B to C to T to Z, you know, we don't know where they're going in their growth stages and we're coming in to support the in-between. Um, another thing about that is the 
and I kind of got off track there because we're, we're focusing on the savings around that. So if they don't have the workload to justify a full-time employee, but they go ahead and they hire that full-time employee anyway because they don't want to work till 10, their staff will not take more additional work, they won't come in on weekends, they're hiring somebody to keep them busy only part-time, but they're paying them full-time. So they're saving by hiring you, they're saving on unproductive hours, which is a profit killer in, in law firms and any company for that matter, is time that's not productive. And to have somebody in a seat just to warm it up and they can say, well, we can find something else for them to do. And that's just not efficient staffing. And so what we really wanna focus on is like, how that law firm is needing somebody for a certain amount of time, right? I'm talking about the in-between, but not more than that time, which would become the unproductive hours or unneeded hours. So they're saving on there. Also, we all know this one, the savings around the state, federal taxes, the unemployment insurance, the fringe benefits, the office space, the, the paid time off, the equipment, the retention, the recruiting, all of those things. Sorry, I think it might context slipping. Uh, all of those things are a cost that's associated with an employee. So when they're hiring a contractor, especially when they don't need a full-time employee, when they're hiring that contractor, they're not only saving those unproductive hours, they're not only saving on the, the paralegal salary, but they're saving on all these extra costs that go above the salary or the base pay, right? <clears throat> so. When we're looking at firms in between stages, especially, and they're looking for support with all, without all these extra costs, without all these extra risks, you know, unemployment, what happens if I can't keep them busy, I have to lay them off, all of those things. The next thing that really makes us have a lucrative market as freelance paralegals is experience. And when I say experience, I know it's easy to say um, that the experience would be around senior paralegal support, but it can also be around experience in case management. It can be around experience in the admin work. And I always like to say this because there is a market out there, a definitely lucrative market out there for paralegals or legal assistants that don't have senior level backgrounds. You know, they don't have seven plus years on their resume. So, but that experience, we're going to focus a little bit more on the, the senior level support. Law firms, when they're hiring employees, are typically very restricted to their geographical reach of driving. Or if they're going remote with their employees, the state. There are some firms that are open to establishing payroll in a different state to hire somebody out of state. And I've had a lot of my firms say, well, I guess I don't really care where they live. I'm like, well, are you planning on putting them on payroll? Have you looked at some of these states are a real pain to get payroll established and there's extra costs involved in all of that. So it's typically if you're going to have a remote employee, it's suggested that you stay at least within your state of business um, for that person being hired for payroll ease. So what that's doing and, and then you know a lot of these lawyers feel or law firms feel that if they're hiring full-time they want them at least hybrid within close proximity to the office because they're not just coming in and doing that specialized type work they're not just always coming in and doing you know drafting complex motions or um, composing or um, compounding discovery or anything of that nature and so they're like well i might have them some days do this and i might have them some days and they need to be close to the office for that that reason or i might need a notary or depending on where the the firm is at and they're in-house staffing and so what that happens then when they are limiting themselves to that hybrid or in-state paralegal 
they're shrinking their talent pool by an extreme amount. <laughs> I don't even know how to quantify it. We just, you know, Adrian and I just had, we have a client right now who was really adamant about keeping their contractor in Arizona. And it's like, but look at all these amazing contractors that have Arizona experience or have a plethora of experience in a neighboring state that could easily transfer over. And look at like the amazing people out there that you could potentially line up with that are going to really elevate your practice and, and get you off the hook for working with at your you know, at Christmas and working at your kid's t-ball game, you know, taking your laptop and never being truly present. And that experience that you're bringing is what law firms are craving. They need somebody that has a solid, solid support to be able to actually free them up, better their law firm. And experience can also look into the case management experience, what type of efficiencies, new efficiencies can you bring into the firm? What type, how can you make that firm better? Um, and that could that doesn't necessarily have to be transformative, but it could just be in the what they need. You know, you can make the firm better by keeping them ahead of deadlines because you're able to draft a really, really great first draft of a demand letter that doesn't require a ton of edits from the attorney. So that type of experience isn't easy to come by in the full-time employee market, not to mention full-time employees are very um, into high demand as far and they have the upper hand on the market so if you're going to find somebody like that and you're going to get them full-time you're competing with you know nearly six-figure salaries upper you know upper five-figure salaries you're competing with full-time uh full benefits unlimited pto it's insane what these big firms out there are starting to offer their employees to get them to stay on a monetary level the smaller firms with tighter budgets that are, to me, my passion project, I love working with them, but they just can't quite compete sometimes with those with those types of benefits. As much as they, they want to, they can't. So that's where you're coming in and you're allowing them to have access to senior level support or very specialized support in what it is that you do or that you specialize in, which is then bettering their firm and you're giving them access to that on a budget conscious level. So going back up to the savings. Um, so there's those two things in your market that you're able to, that's giving us a lucrative freelance paralegal market and it is growing. I promise you it's growing um, more and more firms are, there's a staffing crisis in the legal industry right now. It is very difficult to find, retain um, good people. Flexibility. That's the next one that creates a lucrative market for us freelance paralegals. Now, I want to preface this with I don't expect you to start a business and be so incredibly flexible with your firm that they're able to walk all over you. I myself implement for the most part. I'll make some exceptions sometimes for long-term clients any project work here and there. I require them to engage us for a minimum of 20 hours per month. That's the sweet spot I chose in my agency as I found that that was, you know, five hours a week was enough to keep a, a paralegal engaged and interested in the work. And it was enough side income for them to feel like this was worth it, right? So it might pay for one bill or it might put a good chunk of money into their savings or it's supplementing their freelance work because they're subcontractors of mine. And they feel like this is, you know, this is good, good side work just to keep me busy while I'm building up my own business or, you know, my ebbs and flows with my clients. Five hours is definitely doable. So that was where I landed on the five hours. You can land on anything you want. You can make it a 10 hour a month minimum. You can make it a 30 hour a month minimum, whatever you feel is appropriate. And I wanted to preface this just because and I, without going down a rabbit hole. 
freelance paralegals, it's really hard to break into that space when you're currently having a full-time job that you, your family, like your finances depend on that full-time job. Minimums are going to be your best friend on teetering out of that full-time job while creating security on the other side. So you you want to have that predictability coming in. You want to know, okay, like I have three clients engaging me in 20 hours per week at a minimum. Um, it's going really, really well. I have more discovery calls coming. I'm going to have to start turning people away. So I think it's time to pull back at my current firm. So that's where that's going to really help you gauge when it's time to make the full leap. But that being said, I don't have a problem with my great clients, clients that work with us consistently to give them breaks on those minimums. I understand businesses have seasonalities. Every single business out there has a seasonality. You're not gonna be at your busiest peak, peak busy season all year long. So when they start having those ebbs and flows or the feast and famine type feeling of like, you know, we're really slow right now, but I know we're gonna be feasting and busy and it's just gonna come rushing in, give it a month, you know, or I have a couple clients, you know, our calendar's a little slow right now, we're all caught up for what, you know, if that's ever a thing in a law firm. That's where you're able to give them that flexibility that full-time employees can't. And I'm going to kind of summarize this at the end to talk about the lucrative market. I'm not seeing any questions coming in. So if you do have questions, please, please let me know. Um, so, um, okay, just making sure I'm not missing any questions because I did last time when I went through StreamYard. <clears throat> so when that's how you're competing with that full-time employee in that flexibility moment because that's what happened to a lot of firms in covid which i was freelancing before covid i was remote in 2018 i know people that were freelancing back in you know the early 2010s um it's not like it's a brand new concept firms just were a little bit hesitant to have anybody working remotely and then covid just kind of pushed that that mentality out of a lot of them so as that freelance paralegal comes in, you're offering to that firm, you know, if you have to sideline me or slow me down for a month, I'm not going anywhere. I'll still be here. Um, and that's not something they can get with their employees. A lot of my clients came in, they furloughed, they had to furlough their employees. They had to sideline them for a minute to stay, keep their business from sinking, to keep from bankruptcy during the pandemic when everybody was staying home and everything was shut down. And so they lost those those paralegals because some of these big sharks out there are these firms that were ready for remote work already were able to just it was another it was just a Tuesday you know okay everybody go home we're we're ready to go we're all in the cloud we all know what we need to do we have a case flow man a lot of these firms didn't have that and so they lost them they were swooped up and that started the crisis honestly that's what started the legal staffing crisis was that moment when other firms were showing their upper hand to the smaller firms. And so that's where you're, again, you're competing with those full-time employees as a freelance paralegal. And those three things, the savings that you're bringing, the ability to go through those ebbs and flows, to only give them needed hours within reason, the experience you're bringing to the table that they cannot find in their geographical reach or within their budget, and that flexibility. Those three things, and this is how I'm gonna come full circle and then I see two questions I'm excited to answer. Those three things, you are constantly competing with, with employees and those are the three things that you can bring to the table that most employees can't for your clients, for this market. 
And that's why you have job security. That's why the freelance paralegal world, to me, brings no no more, no more less job security than a full-time uh, position does. If you can really identify why there's a market, the problems that I just laid out that firms are experiencing, and then I also just went through the solutions with you. So once you start getting more comfortable with that, connecting with it, and selling that to your ideal client that you've laid out and positioning it in a way that your ideal client will hear it, read it, and connect with it, that's when you start having a network. Okay, questions. Monica, my biggest pain point is my hourly rate. I work for ex expert witnesses and I went to um, a conference recently and got a ton of leads. Some of them were anxious to work with me. Then when I told them my hourly rate, $60 an hour, I never heard back from them any suggestions. Did you have discovery calls with them, Monica? Um, so there's a couple things on the hourly rate and, and looking at it from those perspectives. So again, we're always competing with the freelance or with the employees. Sorry, I just got a message from a text message from my stepdaughter asking if she can have chocolate. Like, can you just wait? <laughs> the joys. Um, so the hourly rate. It's not going to be for everybody, and I want you to know I have lost clients over that hourly rate too. And I sometimes they've been outright, sometimes they're just like, oh, that's way too high, I can't afford that. They'll usually be back eventually when they realize like this is what it costs and looking at the savings. So something I will walk through, here's a tip. If you're having a discovery call with them, Monica, before you get um, into your savings, do your research beforehand look at their local market and i know expert witnesses don't hire full-time employees typically to handle stuff like that but maybe they do look in that market and already say like i definitely see like this is going to be a savings option for you so I'll, I'll use my little employee cost calculator that i have and i'll run through okay to get somebody this level of experience it's going to take this much money and then let's add on the federal, the state taxes on average, the all these benefits and then this is the dot bottom line of what it's gonna cost them. And then also picking apart now, you don't need them for that many hours. So kind of already telling them that this is gonna save them money before it does. And another thing too is Monica, like I, I'm so glad you went to the conference. I know it's hard though at conferences because I've been to them and that's why I'm a little bit like eh, on conferences, I love them for networking. But to sell and to pitch, it's like you really have to peel the onion for them and, and make sure that they're your ideal client when they come in. Because Monica, I can imagine your ideal client is a successful expert witness that is inundated with his own, um, remind me what you do for expert witnesses, but he's inundated in that type of work so he can't take on more cases, right? So you're gonna free him up to take on more cases to make him more money. So position your marketing around there and try to get ideal clients on your lead calendar. That's another reason I don't hire like appointment setters for my business because you might get leads for me, but depending on my ideal audience, I mean, I guess I haven't found a company that, that has really convinced me they're able to do that. They could be just empty leads. Like they're just people that like might, you know, have a need. They don't really know. Like I want people getting on my discovery call list and scheduling a call with me. I don't care if I have four a week or a month instead of what they say they can set me 25. If those four are quality leads, meaning they understand 
and have such a strong pain point of like, I could make more money if I just had help. See, and that's just it, Monica. Like you're organizing your their caseload so they can take on more work. So you have to find a way in your marketing and in your sales and discovery pitch to reposition it that you're not an expense, you're an investment so they can make more money. And don't like necessarily say it that way because that sounds so salesy, but do you try to get, do you see what I'm trying to get at? So I'm not sure if you had a call with them before you told them that your hourly rate, you always want to get through like their pain points and really understand them deeply. And understanding your efficiency and you need to too with your case studies, like create your own case studies on the amount of time you're saving these, um, these uh, the amount of time you're saving these expert witnesses so that they can take on more cases you're welcome and i i i'll work better on how i'm trying to position that because it's a little different with you with the expert witnesses and i'm not totally wholeheartedly like familiar with that yet but trust me i get clients all the time that think my hourly rate at 52 an hour is too high they're just they're there's they're not your right client then because they're not seeing the value or they don't have the right pain point does that make sense all right, Shakira, I have a question. I've gotten a few inquiries from attorneys and at their consultations say that they are unable to afford the services and that they think it will work better to hire an employee. I've Okay, so I, I'm gonna read the next part. I have packages, but when broken down, the hourly rate is no higher than 50 an hour and the 50 is only for the five hour package. The other packages rain from four. So same thing, Shakira, you're gonna be focusing on these three pain points, the savings, the experience, and the flexibility. It's not just about the cost, it's also about, okay, when they think that they can hire an employee for cheaper, possibly, yeah, you probably could. Does that person have any experience? Are they gonna be able to draft? to the level that you can draft? Are they detail-oriented? You know, don't be sassy with them like that. I'm just saying that to, to you. But it, it it's really focusing on, and that's why it annoys the crap out of people, I feel. I mean, maybe I'm just assuming that. I think it annoys the crap out of people how much I talk about my your ideal client because you either need to, with those attorneys, those inquiries, you need to educate them on the cost savings, um, on the experience they're receiving, on the flexibility, so that they can start seeing it from a different business angle. You have to remember, guys, attorneys are not by nature business people as a standard. They are not business people. They don't have their MBAs. Well, I actually worked for one that did. But that that's neither here nor there. They were not trained to staff their firm. They were not trained to look at ROIs, KPIs, um, you know, profit margins. They were not trained to do any of those things. So we have to almost educate them and educate ourselves around that. Maybe this, I need to uh, republish my employee cost calculator so you guys can really analyze who your ideal client is, who your sweet spot is, and what state, too. That makes a huge difference. So I go nationwide, so I get an array of clients with different budgets. You know, sometimes my California clients, for instance, or my New York clients are a lot easier to pitch that $52 an hour rate because they know, you know, 80,000, 90,000 a year is what they're likely gonna pay for a full-time employee that they don't actually need, right? So you wanna make sure you're not looking for people that have a full need for 40 hours a week. You don't wanna put all your eggs in one basket. Obviously there's the 80-20 rule, meaning 80% of your clients will typically um, serve as 20% of your revenues. But you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket as a freelancer because if they, you know, if something happens with their budget, if they crash, that's not why we freelance, right? We don't freelance to put our eggs in one basket anymore. We, we freelance to create a different type of uh, reality for ourselves and, and a different type of stability and, and scalability. Um, 
So I'm not sure what your state is, Shakira, to tell you about like the hourly rate, but I can tell you my California clients, to my New York clients, to my little itty bitty Iowa town, town in Iowa clients will pay that $52 an hour rate and have no problem with it, mainly because of the need, mainly because they cannot afford a full-time employee with the benefits and the, the taxes and they can't find one even, um, which is another big challenge for them. And they only need five, 10 hours a week. Um, for that specific specific service um, so and again going into the full-time or the excuse me the large firms they might not have a need you know for just deposition summaries they might not have a full-time need for subpoena departments but that's really inundating their current team and they know they need to offload it okay I hope that's helping when I'm talking kind of about the the rates and stuff and and like I'm glad you guys brought that up. I know I'm going a little bit over on my time. I'm glad you guys are bringing up the rates and the objections you're getting around the rates because those particular attorneys either need to be more educated around the, the costs and the real costs of employees and the reality of the market and the costs of retention. Oh, Shakira, that's great. I, we actually have um, state planning open right now, I think, a position in 1099. So reach out to me and maybe maybe you'll align with something we have if you if you have an availability for work. So um I lost train of my thought track of my thought. But when we're looking at the hourly rates, they, okay, that's what I was saying. The attorney either needs to be educated better on costs and that can be part of your longevity marketing plan is to focus on these these pain points, these benefits your their problem and your solution and how they line up or they're just not the ideal client right they're just not in the headspace to look at it i mean think about it too you know as a paralegal what you're getting billed out for i you know in a small town i was billed out at 125 an hour that's more than a uh, 50 percent profit margin for them on everything i do that's billable so focus me in just the billable tasks Put your cheaper admin in the law firm and have them do the non-billable tasks. And they're a lot cheaper. You can hire somebody at 15 bucks an hour out of high school to do faxing, filing, uh, if people fax anymore, um, mailing, those types of things, answering the phone. Keep me billable. Make me, let me make you money. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's why in my whole course, when I did the, the Freelance Paralegal Accelerator, which in the Paralegal Mastery Lounge, which is right, open right now, I'm going through a lot of those phases into the discovery call, into the ideal client, into the prices and making sure your prices are aligning with the ideal client, how to position your marketing, how to get those ideal clients through the door, only connect with your ideal clients. So then when people call you, they don't scoff at the rate. I actually have my rates on my website, but attorneys don't read that stuff. And it's like, I wish it wasn't a shock to you when I told you the rate sometimes, but typically I'm getting qualified leads. Another way I'm getting qualified leads is referrals. My clients that are paying me the $52 an hour rate have already vouched that we're worth it. So your business will evolve and that, that will, that will get a little bit better. Monica, I want to talk with you at some point, just cause you know, we've been friends for a while, um, about you specifically. Cause I, I know that you're having a little bit of a challenge narrowing in on, on that um, expert witness and finding that sweet spot. So let's work together on that at some point. Okay, everybody, I went three minutes over. Sorry, I gotta go get, tell my kids that they can have Hershey's chocolate. Like just, I love that they behave, but just grab it, just grab it. All right, everybody, if you have any... 
Thank you again so much for listening to today's podcast episode. Make sure to give us a rating if you do feel so compelled. Very much appreciated to help develop and grow this podcast. Uh, Your feedback is always, always appreciated. And as a reminder, make sure you're reaching out to me if you have any specific questions or want me to cover a topic in the podcast or for a future webinar. I would love, love, love your suggestions for topics um, and things to hit on. And one last reminder, the Paralegal Mastery Lounge is going to close at the end of this month, August 2023, depending on when you're listening to this. August is it's going to end or it's going to close at the end of this month. So join today.